Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Welcome to Mount View Fellowship. My name is Mike. I'm one of the, the pastors here. I want to uh, welcome you this morning. We are in our fourth and final week of a series that we've called Not Dead Yet. It's about marriage and just the way that sometimes we look at life as being kind of half alive, kind of going through a zombie state of experience that, you know, every day is kind of a rinse and repeat, the same thing we did the day before, we do again. But the truth is Christ wants more for us and he wants to make us alive, alive in life, alive in our relationships. And we have been walking through the, uh, the book of Ephesians in particular, kind of looking at some things that the Apostle Paul was sharing about life in Christ with us. And given it's kind of uh, the last week of the series, I think it's okay for me to go ahead and do a review. And so I'm going to real quick just kind of walk through some of the highlights of what we've covered so far. And it all starts with kind of Paul's purpose for writing the book of Ephesians. And we find that in chapter 1, verse 10. And this is the plan. At the right time, God will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. So everything will be under Christ. And if you are a believer in Christ, that means that you are under his authority now. Your life, your behaviors, your relationships, and if you're married, your marriage is under the authority of Christ as well. And from here, Paul then proceeds to show us God's amazing love and his grace for us, And then if we've received that love, how it should impact and change our life. And it goes like this. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Now you've been united with Christ Jesus Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. And Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separates us. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Therefore... I beg that you lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And as we've talked about this, we've kind of talked about just how we can allow our relationship with Christ now to impact all of our relationships. That, and we call that a gospel-centered life, that you have a relationship, if you're a believer, with Christ now and forever as he heals, redeems, forgives, and transforms us. 
We also talked about how important it is to bring Christ into our relationships. And one of the ways we can do that is to pray out loud. Whether we're with a believer or an unbeliever, whatever, to pray for people out loud. And then, because of God's amazing and abundant gift of grace and forgiveness for us, that we ought to be able to ask for forgiveness and to give forgiveness to people around us. So how did it go this past week? Um, You guys making a little bit of traction on praying out loud? Getting past that awkward stage a little bit, starting to get used to it a little bit? Or how about asking for forgiveness? Anybody get to do that this week? I know I had to. Hopefully, hopefully both of these things just become more and more of a habit for you. Um, just part of who you are, and particularly under that authority of Christ. Today we are going to finish the book of Ephesians, and we're going to look at chapters 5 and 6. And the, the papers that you have there in the row, um, you can look at those. You can pull out your own Bible. I'd love for you to do that. and Just highlight things and write in your Bible whatever the Holy Spirit illuminates for you today. Now, all the other weeks I've said that this is a marriage series, but the vast majority of the content can be used in all of our relationships. Today's a little different. Today is going to be a little heavier on the marriage side. But whether you're married or not, regardless of whatever you know, relationship status you have at the moment, I think there's still wisdom here for all of us. Maybe some spiritual insight into how we work and how we can love others well. Let's go ahead and pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your amazing grace for us and for giving us another another day. Even an hour shorter, we still get to get up and breathe and, and get to worship together. Holy Spirit, I thank you for illuminating this text for us and I just pray that you continue to do that today. And part of our discussion might be a little contentious and so I, Holy Spirit, I just pray for your peace Give us uh, new ears and new eyes so that we can look at this afresh to be able to see what you have for us and be able to start working on that new nature. And Jesus, I thank you for the way that you love us, so much that you were willing to go to the cross to provide a way that we could be forgiven, that we could be united together under your authority. Thank you for loving us first, Jesus. Amen. All right, let's dive into it. So chapter 5 starts this way. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So if you're a believer, you're under Christ's authority now, and that means we're supposed to follow him. And he told us many times that we are to become more and more like him. And that's the imitate Christ piece of this. Now, one thing Jesus did is he was often countercultural. He would turn things kind of upside down, kind of give it new meaning, a new way of looking at it. And when I talk, I often try to bring that up because I think it's pretty amazing how things that were countercultural then are often countercultural today. And Jesus often turns things upside down. From the physical stuff, like turning the tables over in the the temple, to the fact that the Messiah was a suffering servant and not a military king, to him calling us to leave our sin nature, our selfishness, and instead put on a completely different way of living life with a new nature in him. 
when we read the Bible, we also need to just make sure that we don't read something into it that the original audience didn't hear. And so I think it's also good for a moment for us to spend just thinking about the background of the book of Ephesians. So Paul wrote this letter to a group of people that lived in a town called Ephesus. And one of the big things about Ephesus was it was the center of worship of a goddess named Artemis or Diana. Now, the temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was huge by that day's standards. And Artemis herself was, was worshipped because she was the ideal of chastity, of self-sufficiency, of self-independence, kind of the Amazonian model of womanhood, I guess. However, the temple of Artemis was known for drunkenness, wild parties, orgies, prostitution. Sin was rampant. And it was expected, as if you were a citizen of Ephesus, that you often spent time in that temple, participating. And while I don't have a lot of time to go through it today, you can see that verses 3 through 14 here in chapter 5, Paul talks about sexual purity. And he's talking about it because of this backdrop of what the culture was like in Ephesus and the expectations. And he's saying, now that you are under the authority of Christ, it is not okay for you to participate in that. You have to have a different culture. And then the rest of chapter 5 is going to be talking about what that culture might look like in community, a new culture, in your house as disciples of Jesus. And he starts in verse 15 saying this, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he's saying, be careful how you live. Because we are now united together. As being part of Christ's body, the way one person acts affects the rest of the body as well. And what does this word towards the end, submit, mean? Well, submit means to place yourself under somebody else's authority. And for a Christian, Paul has already covered what that should look like. Starting in chapter 4, verse 1, and moving forward, he's said a number of things like, be humble and gentle kind, tender-hearted, making allowances for each other's faults, not allowing anger to control us, letting everything that we say be good and helpful and encouraging, getting rid of bitterness and harsh words, and asking and giving forgiveness. That's what submitting looks like for a Christian. And verses 19 and 21 have something pretty cool here. It's just an amazing way to look at our relationship with God and looking at others. And it's called an ABBA form. It's kind of this beautiful literary parallel structure that you'll find in the Psalms and in Proverbs and in the Gospel of Mark and other places as well. And when you see this form, the middle part, the B, that's the most important part. Singing and making music the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God at all times about all things. If you think about it, this is about our heart posture to God, how we love God. 
And if we do a good job on the B parts, then we can go to the outside and we can work on the A's. Speaking and singing spiritually to each other, submitting to one another, which is about loving others. Now, submitting to one another is done as a gesture to honor Christ, who gave himself for us. It's a general requirement. You'll read about it over and over again in the New Testament for any and all who are united with Jesus. It is the proof of the Spirit's fullness in your life as a believer and the community you're part of, the church you're part of as well. In studying the Bible, one of the key things we need to make sure is that we stay in context, that we look at things both historically, um, literally, the whole thing. And so that's part of the reason why I wanted to go back through this, is just to make sure that we understood that anything that we read moving forward is controlled by what we've already read. All of that about being united together, about what it means to live with God's grace. And so as we dive into this next section, I just want you to, to keep that in mind. And this, this next section is probably something that's familiar to you, and so I'd ask if it is, try to approach it as if it's the first time you've ever heard it. Listen to it anew, okay? And it goes like this, starting at verse 21. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name, whoops, sorry. And further, submit to one another out of reference for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, which is the church. As the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to husbands in everything. And for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are the members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. This is a great mystery, but it's also an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Was this a passage you recognize? It's sometimes used in in weddings and, and different times you may have heard it. Paul then continues the same sort of discussion, looking at children and their fathers, and then looking at slaves and masters. I'm hoping this morning that we can clarify maybe some misguided application that sometimes happens in this passage, maybe some confusion there. To begin with, this is a confusing passage, and it's because it's a mix of ethics and theology. Ethics is about behavior, theology is about the character or nature of God. And even Paul kind of admits that he kind of got us into the weeds here a little bit when he says, this is a mystery, but it's an illustration, right? See, the theology is about Christ and the church. Definitely about how Christ has done things for his church. 
But then the ethics is just about how husbands and wives are to behave. Um, and then he goes on to talk about how fathers and children are to behave and masters and slaves are to behave. Those behaviors are always to match Christ. It can't be different than all of those previous chapters that we've been reading. Husband and wife are united together under Christ's authority. A second thing is that this is a simile, not a metaphor. They're both figures of speech. The difference is a simile is all about saying something is like something else. It doesn't mean that it is. It's close to it. You can get some things from it. Where a metaphor is trying to imply the two things are the same. So, for instance, a simile might be love is a, like a dance. Meaning maybe there's something about dance that we can find in our love relationship. But a metaphor would be love is a battlefield. That maybe there's suffering and pain in, in love. I don't know. This passage, because it's a simile, is not saying that husbands are Christ to their wives. It is not saying that wives' submission allows them to have salvation. That is something that many cults believe, and we're not going there. As believers of Christ, we're going to read this as a simile, that the husband is to be like Christ, not that he is, and that all of us are supposed to imitate Christ. It also means that we're not perfect, that it's not a perfect analogy, and we have faults, and we need to allow for those faults in our relationship. We are all works in progress and all under God's grace. One of the third things is often this passage is read as what I call a grab bag of verses. Often it's read and taken out of context of the rest of the book, and we need to make sure we read it in context. As we've said, we need to be aware of the historical and literary and, and cultural context that is here. Now, I often look at this passage, and I divide where it starts actually at verse 21. Some Bibles, you'll see that they kind of put a, a little title in between 21 and 22. But I think it's important to start at 21, because that one sentence that we are all to submit one another is totally the setup for the husband-wife relationship, the father-child relationship, the master-slave relationship. And so I kind of see it as one big section with one declaration at the top and three examples that are pulled right out of the key relationships in a Greco-Roman household. Those were the key things that happened. Also, you may hear that sometimes that, that word submits in verse 21 is different than in 22 or 24. If we look at the original Greek, there's a couple things here. One is there's not a period in between verse 21 and 22. There's actually a comma. It's part of the same thought. And that word for Greek for submit is found in 21, but it's not actually found in 22. If you read the interlinear, which is kind of taking the, the Greek and directly translating word for word, it, it's clunky, but it means this. Being submissive to one another in fear of Christ, the wives to their own husband as to the Lord. So when you say that it's two different versions of submit, that's not correct. It's absolutely exactly the same here, verse 22, 24. And then it's meant to be the same for verse 25 when it says, and for husbands. It sets up the same thing. One of the other things we talked about earlier was that Christ was often countercultural. And this section needs to be looking as countercultural. It's something different in that day as well as our own. 
So what was the culture of the day? What was the esteemed values of how a house was supposed to work? Well, by doing some little research in the background of kind of the, the privileged, the wealthy, the controlling class of people at that time, we see that the man was absolutely the king of his house. He was the ruler of his house regardless, and everybody was subjugated to him. The role of a wife in a Greco-Roman household was purely to provide a legitimate heir. That was it. She was supposed to provide kids. And in fact, um, it wasn't about partnership or joy or pleasure. That's why the man went to the temple to have sex or pleasure there, not in the house. In Ephesus, it's actually written that a wife could earn her freedom by providing three legitimate heirs. She could leave the marriage if that happened. That's how they were looked at. Women didn't have much rights. And here, Christ is calling men to do something countercultural, to love, to respect, to submit to others in his house, his wife, even his children, his slaves or his servants. It's very different. Another piece here is I think that, that Paul is calling us to be countercultural, maybe returning to the original plan for marriage. If we look at that first couple in Genesis 2, we see this is what it says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. He had Adam go around and name all the different animals and realize that he was alone. And then God had him fall asleep. He took one of Adam's ribs and formed Eve. At last, the man exclaimed, this, is one, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is kind of united into one, this language. It kind of sounds like what we're reading in Ephesians, doesn't it? Being united. There's a kind of an old cheesy saying, I think it's cheesy, but it, it's still accurate. And it looks at it this way. The first man was created from Adam's, Adam's rib. Not his foot bone, so that he could rule over her, and not his skull, so that she could dominate over him. But from his rib, close to his heart, so that he could love her and protect her and be a partner with her. Right? I think that sort of love, that sort of marriage can still be countercultural today. Now, there's one other countercultural thought we just need to cover real quick. You may have heard that because of the, you know, Ephesus and the worship of this Amazonian woman, uh, Diana or Artemis, that maybe feminism was starting to sprout a lot in Ephesus. And maybe that's why Paul starts by saying women submit, right? However, there's another way to look at it. The fact that Paul addresses the wife first is actually a way that he's giving dignity and respect to her. I think we read too much into this passage from our own culture when we say that wives submit is supposed to be about knocking down women's independence. Because if you think about it, the entire book of Ephesians is about our interdependence. And that's what Paul is really calling us to. Paul is also calling us to be counter our sin or cursed nature, if you will. Christ came to undo our natural nature of being selfish, all about us and sinning. And so let's go back to that first couple again after they chose the wrong choice and they sinned. 
In Genesis 3, it says, Then God said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, and he will rule over you. Notice that this part of our relationship conflict happened because of sin. Women wanting to control their husbands and then husbands ruling over them. It's a consequence that is exactly opposite of what that original marriage was like before in chapter 2. I think this is why Paul calls out the wives submit to your husband piece because that is exactly opposite of this sinful nature, this desire to control. Now for wives, remember, submitting to your husband does not mean you're a doormat. What it means is you submit out of reverence to God. It means the same things we talked about before, to be humble, gentle, kind, tenderhearted, making allowances for each other, getting rid of all bitterness, getting rid of harsh words, asking for forgiveness and giving forgiveness. It's that same list. I think Paul really summarizes the wedding relationship or the marriage relationship in verse 33 back in Ephesians. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Notice that this is a very positive, different version of that, of that Genesis 3 curse, because they're actually focused on each other instead of themselves. Biblical manhood means that you draw closer to Christ, submitting and trusting more and more in him, And the more you do that, the more that you can lead your family spiritually. Biblical manhood is not about giving up your man card, but it means if you want to be a man, you need to lead your family and to be closer to Christ. Godly manhood or godly husbandry is a call to be a servant, not a master. And it's not uh, a cosmic power trip. It's actually a trip to self-sacrifice, just like Christ did. Biblical wifery, is that a word? Wifery? I don't know. We'll go with it. Is about honoring and supporting, loving and respecting your husband. It is also a trip to self-sacrifice, just like Christ did. It's a trip to a new nature. Notice this piece here is about deep issues in your relationship, not about the dishes or anything like that. It's about how you actually look and act and treat each other. And if you spend the time to work on these deep issues, I think you'll find that things like the dishes and the laundry are no longer the issue. You'll be past that. If you will, just for a moment, I'm going to give you kind of a summary. This is my view. Hopefully it's biblical. I think I pulled it out here correctly. But this is my view of the roles, responsibilities, requirements that God has for each of us in this this marriage relationship. For husbands, it starts with the first item, to be united in Christ. You know, for wives, it's exactly the same. We are to be united in Christ. Item number two. Love God and love others. And for wives, it's exactly the same. Love God 
love others. For husbands, we are to love and serve your wife. Related to that, for the wife's side, it's to be lovable. And wives, then you are to respect your husbands, and husbands, we are to be worthy of respect. And then finally, husbands are to lead your family spiritually, and wives are to pray together. Now, as we talked about week one, marriage is not a contract, okay? It is a covenant. It's a call to something different, which means each one of us have to do these responsibilities regardless of what the other one does. Husbands, we need to love and serve our wife even if they're not showing respect. And wives, you need to respect your husband even if they're not worthy of your respect at the moment or not loving you. The point is you have to hold those requirements because that is what God is calling you to do. And you will be amazed that if you do that, after a while your your spouse will do their part too. And it's all about beginning being united in Christ, loving God and loving others. If we get that right, the other pieces fall in line. This is countercultural work. It is different. And it can only be accomplished through Christ and in prayer. As we put on a new nature, just know we do have an enemy, the evil one, and he wants nothing more than for us just to stay stagnant, to stay in that sinful nature, to not change, to not look at things different. This is a spiritual battle. And so when we look at the, this part of Scripture, we need to make sure that this requires prayer and transformation. Likely we all have some change. And judging by some of the elbows I've seen go in the ribs out there in the crowd today, I think you agree. We all have change. And prayer is how we make this happen. Praying out loud together, pursuing our relationship together in Christ so that we can put on a new nature. I think that's why Paul finishes the book of Ephesians with prayer. In verse six, chapter, or, uh, verse 10 of chapter 6, he says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you might be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood or our spouse, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Paul then continues with this great simile of how putting on armor is different parts of our relationship and how we can move forward with God. And he kind of concludes it by saying this, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. We are to pray for others. I think it's really good for us to pray more for others than ourselves. And I think it's also really important to pray out loud. That's kind of the speaking spiritually part that Paul talked about. I think that sounds like praying out loud one another. This morning, I want to give us space, another opportunity that right here, we can pray out loud with the people you came with. Regardless of your relationship status, I think we can do this. If you're married... Pray out loud for a new nature in your marriage. Make today be a milestone, not just about time change, but let it be a lasting change in your marriage, a turning point so that you support and love and submit and respect one another. 
for encouragement to take on that new nature. We fall into habits really easy, and so it takes years sometimes for us to get where we are. It's going to take time for us to reverse that and get on the right path. And one of the best ways we can do that is to pray out loud, to invite Christ in. Today, if you're single, divorced, widowed, if you're a teen, pray out loud where you're at for all the relationships in your life, family and friends, people at work or at school. Pray that you will be able to put on a new nature as well, to be able to love, serve, and even submit to others better so that you can point people to Christ as you continue to grow. Now again this morning, I'm going to give us some space, a couple minutes. Uh, the worship team's going to come out. They're going to put some music behind it for a little bit. Right where you are, if you're with people, pray with them. If you're by yourself, pray out loud where you are or look for somebody else that you can join. But spend a few minutes praying out loud these things. And then in a little bit, the worship team will, will start to sing and you can stand and worship together.